not to mention the pain of writing that script again and again and again. I, I think I have this perfectionist grain in me. So I, I really had to retake all my videos so many times. And then when I put it together and I put it out and I asked my greatest supporters to go have a look and I tried to sell it, I got like one sale. That was like, oh my gosh. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners, based on the lessons I have learned from all of my guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Chin Chin Yao. Chin Chin, are you ready to rock? Absolutely. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the audience. Chin Chin is an executive coach who specializes in developing the agile mindset in professionals thereby raising the quality of leadership in every organization. Named one of top 101 global coaching leaders and woman super achiever at the 28th World HRD Congress. She works with business executives from nearly 40 countries, including Fortune 500 companies and senior officers from the Singapore Civil Service. Chun Chen is also the author of Eight Paradoxes, of leadership agility, where through stories of transformation, she shows how mind shifts are made possible with her proprietary Refor coaching model. Chin Chin, can you take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life? Sure, thanks, Andrew. Yep. Well, I think I'm just this regular person. I believe in simplicity. So I know people who first time they come into contact with me, they'll be thinking, oh my God, who is this person, Chen Chen, you know? I think I'm just this, in Singapore, we have this term, the auntie, the auntie who goes to the market with t-shirt, shorts, you know, down to like essentials, leading a very simple lifestyle. But I truly love my work because I think it's going to the fundamental, to the roots, to the heart of every human being. And I truly love being in this business of raising people potential. Mm. And how did, you, how did you get into it? That's my first question. I mean, it's not like the type of thing that you graduate university and say, I'm going to start leading people on how to, you know, think agile and mindset and all that. How did you get into it? Yeah, I think it's through the hard knocks of life. You know, I actually started my career as a teacher. I taught mathematics. So I think you can imagine how big a jump it is to be good in mathematics and to write a book because I don't think writing English is my forte. So I think that's that huge transition. But how, how did I get into it? I realized that there are some patterns in my teaching career. As I was working with young adults or working with my fellow colleagues, I, I realized that I was able to always draw out the fullest potential. I always saw something in them that they themselves did not see. And just by acknowledging it, noticing it, that really increased their motivation to want to succeed. So then I started toying with the idea now, I, I'm good at working with the young people, right? What if I work with somebody else who could make a bigger impact 
in the workforce. So that's where I decided, okay, how about you know exploring what are the fields I can go into? So of course there were executive coaching, speaking, training, etc. I found my love in executive coaching. I think it's my strengths profile. I'm a relator. If you are familiar mm. with the Clifton strengths, so I really love the one-on-one connection. Yes, absolutely. I see that behind you. So that's great. So I think knowing your strengths, knowing the motivations, that helped me identify which is a possible path that I could take and where would I truly excel in. I think this is a journey with no regrets, but it started with identifying patterns. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things in there, but I'm going to put in a link to Clifton Strengths. So for those who have not taken that and read, either got the book or gone online to take it, I highly recommend it. And I, I'll just review my strengths here. My strengths are activator strategic, maximizer, significance, and focus. And I think for the listeners out there, this is a great book. And not only is it a great book and survey to understand yourself, but just the way the book is designed with stickers for all 30 of them that they put in the back, and then you can put those stickers on the front. It's just one of the most unique books that I've come across that I just thought was so cool. So Highly recommend that. The the other thing I want to ask you about is, you know, how did you deal with imposter syndrome? I know there's a lot of listeners out there that that do feel like they have value to bring, but then they look at CEOs. I mean, they're already successful. Well, who am I? How am I going to help them? And I'm asking for a friend. Ah, okay. (laughs) I think this is all very good timing, you know. So my one of my top five talent themes is connectedness. And what that means is I'm always seeing, looking at for patterns, which I think that helped me with the career transition, as well as seeing that there are no coincidences in life. So I happen to be doing this webinar next week about overcoming the imposter syndrome. How do you stop sabotaging yourself, overcome self-doubt and be the leader who you truly are meant to be and really shine with courage? So I think for me, well, okay, lately I went through the global strengths coach certification program. So I'm in the middle of my certification right now, but in my coaching practice, strengths, values have always been the foundation. So I truly believe in this approach. So for me, how I overcame imposter syndrome is accepting what my strengths profile is trying to tell me. You know, when I did it, I think I did an assessment maybe five years ago. I didn't like it. Hmm. No, I'm not all rounded. You know, there are the four domains of, you know, that you categorize all the 34 strengths team into. And I had so many in the strategic thinking in my top 10. I had like seven out of seven of them was the thinking type. The machines are the thinking, thinking type, you know. And then the relationship building, I didn't have any in the influencing domain nor the executing. I had one in the executing domain, so that's not too bad. At least I can execute some stuff. But it's like, I was so upset. I want to be a coach, but I have no influencing themes. How bad can that be? And only when I started working with my coach mentor, I really thank my lucky stars for you know meeting some really helpful, outstanding people who helped me see how my strengths profile can actually help me build this career. And that whatever strengths you have, it is good. They're all good. There's nothing wrong with you. And I think accepting that notion that there's nothing wrong with me and I don't need to try to fix myself, that helped me step-by-step overcome the imposter syndrome. Of course, there is that parallel side, which is building capabilities. I think you, uh, well, I, I think my communication skills are 
not too bad right now compared to pretty awesome. You know, <laughs> compared to four five years ago, probably I wouldn't speak with so much confidence and calm. And I think uh, some people use the word charismatic to describe how I communicate with people right now. I'm just using my relator. I'm just thinking about how、oh, this is a conversation between two human beings,、mm. and I am truly curious about who you are, what you bring, how you see things, and I just come across that way. So really, just leaning into my strengths, and I think with that positive feedback, looking for frameworks to help myself, that helped me overcome the imposter syndrome step by step. Is it totally gone? I don't think so. I don't think it will be truly ever be completely gone because if it is gone, then it will mean that you might be in a place of being complacent.、Mm. We don't want that. So I think keep it just a healthy dose, dial it up, dial it down a little bit, and things will work out. Beautiful. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever, and since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and then tell us your story. Sure. So I think the greatest transformation for me was to switch tasks from being a public servant, where I had a lot of stability, certainty in my future, and exploring this route of becoming an entrepreneur, setting up my own coaching training practice. And like all business owners, we want to scale our businesses, right? And part of it was to put together an online course. How great would would it be? To be making money while you're sleeping, you know, to wake up and check your email and you see, oh my gosh, no money coming in. That's like I think the ideal states that I was working towards. And then the more the worst investment was I created a full online course, investing all my time, transcribing everything I said into subtitles. That this cost me quite a bit of money. Not to mention the pain of. Writing that script again and again and again. I I think I have this perfectionist grain in me, so I I really had to retake all my videos so many times, and then when I put it together and I put it out and I asked my greatest supporters to go have a look and I tried to sell it, I got like one sale. That was like oh my gosh. And how much time would you say that you put into it? How much time? I think I spent about two to three weeks full time on it. I didn't do anything else、mm. in the two to three weeks. I literally ignored my family, my kids. I had three kids, so I ignored my three kids. My husband was very understanding. He would see me on the computer typing away all the time, editing, editing, <laughs> editing nonstop. And then the next day, I will wake up, I will dress up, you know, quickly do my video shoots, and I thought, oh my god, this is no good. Oh my god, that's not good. So two, three weeks of nonstop. So maybe maybe a hundred hours or so invested in it. Wow. Yep.、Yeah. Okay. And tell me. Just tell me the moment that you realized that you had made a mistake. Like you realized when you saw there was no sales, or you got that message from somebody that says, "Just sorry to tell you, but you know, what was that moment?" <laughs> I think the moment was when you hear crickets. You know, it's like how you watch a cartoon and then you get that crickets or the crows flying by. You know that kind of effect. Like you send it out to your supporter. So I, I think I'm blessed that I have. Clients turned kind of like you know strategic partners and stuff. So I know I can always rely on them、mm. to give me constructive, critical feedback. And I asked them,、oh, "Okay, go take a look at this." And they came back. Nothing. Nothing came back. It was just crickets. 
they were like, I, I don't know, maybe too polite to say something or they were like, oh my God, it's too brutal. I can't give it to you or, or something like that, you know? And I think those, the crickets and not getting any feedback back, that was like the greatest feedback. It was like this ominous silence and you're wondering, oh my gosh, what is going on? You, and you know, there's something wrong, but I just can't really pinpoint what it is. Did you talk to your husband about it after that when you got that response? since he had seen all the effort you put into it. My husband, no, 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 not, not really. He has a different strengths profile. So I, I, I know if, if I talk to him about it, I'll be asking him to lean in his, into his lesser theme. So I don't want to make it painful for both <laughs> of us. It, doesn't kind, it, it kind of doesn't work for either of us. For him, he's the executing type. Right. We're like, never mind, forget about all this emotion, just execute and just, yeah. just, just charge on, you know, <laughs> it's fine. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to analyze, analyze. Uh, I, I did call out one or two of them and I asked, okay, okay, so what are you getting? And then they were like, okay, so they gave you a little bit of feedback here and then and the mm. rest of it, I think it's the guessing. But I think, I think this is a newbie mistake. So what makes it the worst? Okay, not only is it a worst investment in terms of time, effort, money, everything, even my sleep, to be honest. Hmm. I think it, it also is painful because it is a newbie mistake. Right? Could have been and avoided. I, yes, it could have been avoided if I wasn't so naive, <laughs> overly optimistic. You know, Andrew, when I wrote my book, I hired a book coach mm. and I should have known better the extensive amount of research, right? That goes into designing, structuring a book or even picking the name of the paradoxes. Mm. I hired a copywriting coach to set up my website. And again, so much research into picking, getting the language from my target audience. And how could I make that newbie mistake when I'm clearly not a newbie? <laughs> mm. So maybe you can summarize the lessons that you learned from this experience. Right. I think old habits die hard. And sometimes it's really, we have to guard ourselves against our own optimism sometimes. Or that uh, we trap ourselves in this box thinking that everything will work out fine. So sometimes we, we paint this overly rosy picture that, oh, don't worry, things will work out fine, you know, and we forget to check ourselves. But were there moments as I was developing the content that my gut was saying, oh, I don't think this will land, you know, with people. It's kind of soft, intangible, not quantifiable. What do you think people are going to say about it? And by the time I was on Modic 5, I was like, um... I don't know. I just have to charge on, right? It's too, I, I, it's too late. You've already invested in much. Down, too far down the rabbit hole. I just can't do anything. And I think then I learned, I, I silenced my gut. You know, my gut was telling me all these things. So I, I think that's the greatest learning mm -hmm. I had. Listen mm -hmm. to your gut. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me, maybe I'll share a few things that I take away from this story. First of all, I mean, I've been developing online courses now for five years and I can tell you that it's probably the biggest mistake that, that I've made and I know others have made, and that is not developing it with the market. And I'm just reminded of this book by uh, Stephen Pressfield. I was just looking it up. Nobody wants to read your SH star T. And, you know, it's kind of an overconfidence bias. We get excited about our idea and we think 
we've got so much to say. And the truth is we may have a lot to say, but because it's such a crowded world out there, we have to figure out how to connect what we have to say with what the market wants and what the market's willing to pay for. So there's a few things that I would say. The first one is I, I want to start off at the beginning of what you talked about. And I just love what you said is that you don't need to fix yourself. And that was talking about the strengths and all that. And I think it's a great lesson for all of us and for the listeners out there to remember, stop feeling bad about yourself. Stop feeling inadequate. Stop feeling imposter syndrome because guess what? You are you and you are unique. And your job in this life is to bring the most and the best out of that. And it's not even your job is not even to bring the best out of it. It's just to be more you. So I think that's first lesson I want to take away with what you shared. Then I also have a second lesson that you talked about the relator and trying to understand people. And, and I, I want to tell a story about a, a friend of mine. His name's Stuart J. Raj. And he's an amazing guy. He's half Indian, half Australian. He came to Thailand. He learned Thai language in 30 or 90 days. I watched him from zero to fluent and reading, writing, speaking. And later I learned that he he speaks many languages. And I was asked him, I said, I got to go to China to give a, a one-day seminar at Beijing University. I said, do you speak Chinese? He said, yeah. I said, do you ever live in China? He said, no. I said, you want to uh, come and be my interpreter? And he said, sure, let's do it. So we got on a plane, we went to China, met with my friend who was helping me prep. And she helped to go through some of the vocabulary of what I was talking about. And then I got up on stage and he interpreted for six hours and the audience was floored. The audience was just amazed. And when I learned about how he learns his language, he can speak, read and write 20 languages. But what I learned was different about him. He learns language for a different reason. Most of us learn a language for convenience. You know, if I could talk to the taxi driver in Bangkok, I could get to the place I want to go. I could order the food I want. But he does that. He learns language to get into the heart of the people in the country that he's that that language is spoken and he truly wants to, to relate. And so you reminded me of him when you talked about Relator and I think it's a great message. Now that, let's talk about courses for a moment. One of the lessons that I've learned in courses is that many people create courses which are informational. They bring their information that they have and you know it's a lot of good information, but nobody's, nobody wants to pay for information. It's free on the internet. What I've learned from great courses and great mentors like Amy Porterfield, as an example, and uh, David Seitman Garland in his course, Create Awesome Online Courses, is that people will pay for transformation. And if you are, let's say someone's overweight and you come to me and I say, in 60 days, I can get you to this weight and I'll guarantee it. And I'll help you to get to that point versus I can teach you everything you need to know about losing weight. It's meaningless. It's valueless for most people. But if you could truly transform me, right? Or if I could transform someone, that is valuable. And so a big lesson I've learned is that. Now, the last thing I would just say for anybody out there who's trying to do an online course, the best thing to do is sell the course before you create it. And that's what I'm doing. Recently, I've launched a course called Achieve Your Goals. And I've also created a, a course before it that's a free course 
called What I Learned from Reading 36 Books About Goal Setting and Time Management. So you don't have to read them. And that's the free part. And then after that, once someone learns that, they say, okay, if I want more, what do I do? And that's the course. So I did that. I launched the course. I got some people paying. And then I had to finish the chapters and I had to finish the modules. And then I started to finish. I said, I'm only going to produce. And I told him, this is a founder's price. I'm only going to produce module one. There's going to be three modules. So you're going to get module one. And then a week later, you're going to get module two. And that allowed me to, to kind of judge the allocation of my time. So that's the biggest lesson that I've learned. And it relates to what you're talking about. Is there anything you would add to those things? Yeah, it I reminds me of something one of the participants in my facilitation group mentioned. We expect ourselves to be finished products by the time we enter the workforce. And I think I was having that mindset, my course must be finished before I launch it. But what if it is a work in progress? And then I think that resonates very nicely with the agile leadership principles that I'm advocating, that we are adjusting, you know, or the flow, navigating all these complexities, uncertainties, and responding correctly and in time to, to what people really want and while retaining their sense of authenticity and ease. It shouldn't be a stressful process of trying to put together a course. Now, if I am always looking out for feedback and using it to feed forward, this term coined by Marshall Goldsmith, if I use that to create my course, wouldn't it be an enjoyable and very authentic on both sides, you know, kind of journey? Yeah, and the fact is that though your course may be a $500 course, the challenge is could you get 20 people to come in at 50 bucks to pay and get involved? And it reminds me also that another thing that I've learned, and I learned this through Amy Porterfield's course, is that the cost of the course is your biggest accountability resource as a teacher. I have two different courses that I've recently purchased. One of them I bought on an online website for 10 bucks. And one of them I bought from a very well-known person for more than a thousand. Neither of them have I completed. But which one do you think annoys the hell out of me at night when I'm in bed that I haven't completed it? Which one? Yeah, the one... expensive one. Exactly. So, you know, sometimes people are afraid to charge a higher price on the course. And I say the price is a serious accountability tool. The other thing, you just reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday. I have a group of interns, so I brought them to meet with some of my friends who are senior executives to ask questions. And one of the interns asked a question and she said, what do we do if they ask me, like, what's, what's your weaknesses? And, and I'm thinking, you know, here's a young kid just finishing university. And my answer to that was, if I was asked that question at your age, I'd say everything. I'm just a kid. I've learned this. I've learned that. But I mean, you know, I'm ready to learn. But, you know, now if you're 30 or 40 and someone asks you that, OK, it's a little bit of a different answer. But the idea is, you know, be open to realizing that you just don't know that much and, and learn it. Ah, so much to learn about online courses. I know for many of the listeners out there that you're thinking about doing an online course and all that. I think today's talk has been a really great discussion so that people can, can wake up to say, well, just put it together, ask for advice. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? 
<laughs> Definitely checking out Amy Porterfield. Somebody recommended her to me. I wish I had known her, I mean, known about her work earlier. I'm in the process of pre-selling another course. So next week I have a webinar on exactly what we were talking about, imposter mm. syndrome, self-doubt. I truly believe the content that I'm planning to put in the course will benefit people and give them that transformation. But I'm, I'm always in this uh, test and learn, test and learn mode, get the feedback and get better and better. I think it's also very important for me not to fall into the trap of thinking that this won't work, but to do the research and the homework correctly. And I think in creating any course, any product for all business owners out there, that copywriting, how clear is it? What is the value? Who are you working with? What will people get out of it? I think all these things, it requires a lot of discipline to get it very right before you can make a judgment whether this vehicle works or don't work. Mm, great. Yeah, and also I would just say, just type in Amy Porterfield and go to her podcast and you, know, you can listen to her podcast and you'll get almost all of what she teaches in her course. She's demonstrating. She has a podcast that's similar to, you know, the same topic as the course. She's every podcast episode, she's giving a checklist or a resource to help you to go to her website to download that resource. But that is also helping you to then connect and then start to see the courses and the products that she has. Just so many things. If you just follow her for free on her podcast, you're getting a lot of value. And if you take the course, I think... I would say that a big part of her course is the whole accountability. That's a, it's a huge part. So that's major, but she's, she's amazing. So great advice. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is to scale and automate my business. Beautiful. And online course is the way to go for me. Beautiful. Well, I can't wait to, to hear about that 12 months from now. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help my listeners to reduce risk in your life. So go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. Chen Chen, as we conclude, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, where I have all my courses, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Sure, please connect with me. If this podcast, this interview has done something positive for you, please connect with me on LinkedIn and feel free to check out my book on my website. I'm sure Andrew will put it in the show notes as well. It'll all be there. So just go to the show notes and connect. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.